Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Hello, and welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. I am your host, Tara Bradham Denai, and we are coming off of a super exciting weekend where we just launched the first ever Heal Retreat virtually, and that is a retreat where women can come together amidst their physical pain and limitations and try to reconcile everything that's going on with their bodies and in the world and all the suffering with their faith in Jesus Christ. And so it was a great event. I think we're going to be turning that into something that happens multiple times a year, and then hopefully an in-person one when the economy and different things open open back up. So if you know of people who are struggling, please don't let them struggle alone. Send them to my website, tarabradham.com, and we can get them plugged in to resources just with this podcast and that retreat and so many more things coming. I'm, I'm so excited for what's in store in the future. So thank you for attending if you did. And on that note, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to it, and subscribe. That's really going to help more people find this podcast and help us just continue building this community through pain and the faith we have amidst it. On the show today, we have Sue Reynolds, who has become a friend to me. We are agency siblings. She is the same literary agent I do. And her book, The Athlete Inside, comes out today. So you can get your copy right now. I am pumped to get mine in the mail. And her story is one where she was over 200 pounds of her weight, dealing with the limitations of obesity. And as she found this athlete inside of her, she developed this passion for triathlons. And also she found a passion for God amidst everything. And her journey is just beautiful, practical, inspiring in every single way. So I am excited for you to hear how Sue went from barely walking to the end of her driveway to getting sixth at the World Championships and triathlons. So here is Sue Reynolds. Today, I'm super excited to have Sue Reynolds on the show. She is someone who's become a friend to me through being authors together, and her story is a little bit unique. She has a story of finding an athlete hiding inside of her, and it deals with obesity, which is a different kind of physical circumstance, but I think she just has so much wisdom to share, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear her story. So welcome, Sue. Thank you so much. It's an honor um, to be interviewed by you, and I cannot wait to read your book as well. Thank you. Well, so first off, for those of us who don't know your story, tell us a little bit about who you are, how did you get into triathlons, what your book is about, all the things. Sure. So um, before I started my journey, I weighed 335 pounds. I think there's a lot of stereotypes that go with being obese and I didn't meet a lot of those stereotypes. I was very successful in my career. I founded a nonprofit that helps community organizations implement the process of change to help kids and just loved my work. I viewed it as a calling and um, it was was just a a joy to do that work. And then I was really um, very, very happy with my family. I've been married for 41 years. I have two adult sons who have delightful wives and four beautiful grandchildren. So 
So yeah, so, um, but I was definitely overweight, weighed 335 pounds and didn't have any medical issues because of my weight, but was extremely frustrated with the things that I could not do because of my size. I couldn't fit into a restaurant booth. It was always a panic when a colleague would say, let's go out for lunch, because I you know, think, oh my gosh, can I get into, you know, if we sit in the booth, can I get into the booth? And I couldn't even tie my own shoes. My, my belly was so big, I couldn't reach around it to get to my feet. So every morning I had to ask my husband to put my shoes and socks on for me, which I hated uh, asking him that. So, so there were a lot of things that I couldn't do because, because I was so overweight at that time. Yeah. And what caused you to become overweight? Was that something that you struggled with your whole life? Was it a trauma you had in your life or what kind of started that for you? Yeah. So, um, I mentioned that I had this job that I loved and, um, I, would often work all night to get ready for the next day. Um, and before that, I was a teacher and loved teaching as well. What did you teach? I taught um, science, biology. Um, I also taught a wonderful class with a curriculum that was developed by Zig Ziglar called I Can that taught kids about motivation and about setting goals and, and working their way to, to those goals. Awesome. So yeah, so I loved teaching and I know teaching is in, in your background as well. And that can be a 24 hour a day job. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, so I pulled a lot of all nighters then too. And, and really in a, especially in nonprofit work in a typical week, it wouldn't be unusual for me to pull three all nighters. Wow. But to stay awake, I would eat. And so, you know, it was interesting. Yeah. So it would be like three dozen cookies plus a big bag of M&Ms. I mean, I just, it just helped me stay awake. And then of course, the next day I'd have a, you know, I'd be on a carb cycle and then I'd get really sleepy in the middle of the next day. So I'd eat some more and, you know, it, I'd like to tell people that as the nonprofit became bigger, um, so did my waistline. So, yeah, wow. but it finally the point where I was just, I was so big, it was, it was like a disability. There were things that I couldn't do. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what was the turning point for you? There wasn't anything traumatic. I was just one day at the breakfast table about to eat, uh, you know, some high calorie breakfast foods. And, and I just thought, why am I doing this? And I remember putting my hands up in front of me, palms out and, and just saying enough. And then I said it again, enough. And at that point, I just decided that I wanted my future to be different and started making different choices. But yeah, it was just that one point in time where I just like hit rock bottom and I thought, why am I doing this? And said enough. Yeah. So you have a book. We're recording this a little bit early, but by the time we release it, it will be coming out April 28th, right? That's correct. Hopefully, maybe with some delays with Corona going on. Um, let's talk about that for a second, actually. So we're recording this right at the height of when COVID-19 has kind of shut our country down a little bit. And I saw that you wrote a blog that you shared that was really cool about um, being considered elderly and at risk of this virus and the freedom you have to not fear that now because of your journey. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So yeah, I, I really never did think about myself as being an elderly person. I'm 66 now. I started my journey when I was 60. So, and I, 
when I was listening to the news reporters on TV, they were saying that elderly people were more at risk for a serious case of coronavirus. And and then they said that elderly was 65. And I'm thinking, that can't be right. I actually Googled elderly and found out that that was right, that um, people are elderly at 65. And I always thought it was like 80. (laughs) So I started wondering, why don't I feel old? And it came down to triathlon, that in my triathlon life, most of the athletes that I'm are part of my team and and others that I see at races you know they're in their 20s 30s and 40s and um, I think just because I was hanging out with young people it just made me feel young and then you know I just love triathlon and uh, swimming and, and biking and running and you know when I'm on my bike and the wind is going through my hair or I'm swimming I I feel like I'm 10 years old, you know, I'm just out in the neighborhood and having a, a good time. So, so yeah, so I just, I just never felt old and that was a, a real shocker to me. <laughs> so, but then, you know, I thought, okay, so I better be following all the coronavirus restrictions. And so we are uh, limiting our, our life to just in our house right now. But there are lots of other lessons in triathlon that I realized were having an impact on my approach to this change that we've all had in our lives because of the virus. And one is just looking at, in my beginning triathlon years, at races when something would not go as planned if a race organizer decided to postpone the the race by 15 minutes, or I was thinking it was going to be sunny weather and all of a sudden it was raining. You know, I would just go into into a meltdown. And my coach taught me to just say, accept and adjust. And, you know, whatever triathlon in a a race threw at me, I would remember his words, accept and adjust. And I think that's what I'm doing with the coronavirus as well, that, you know, it's just the situation is here. We, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. It's out of our control. So we have to control the things we can control, like staying in the house. But the things that we can't control, we just have to accept that and, and make the adjustments of the things in the areas where we can control it. Yeah, just even, I'm, I'm thinking just like in a triathlon, it's like, yeah, if it shows up and it's rainy or whatever, well, everyone's in the same boat with you, right? It's not like someone gets to race in a sunny condition or a not windy condition, whatever, you're all doing the same thing. And as much as it you know, stinks for us right now in this situation, it's like everyone's in the same boat. You know, We're all being affected somehow. You're making me, uh, it was, has been sunny in Montana and the snow had almost all melted. And now as of yesterday, it started snowing again. So I was excited because while I couldn't train in the gym, I was getting to ride my bike and run outside. And you're talking about being so young doing triathlons. I want to go outside and do something, but I don't know that, uh, weather is cooperating with us here, but I saw on your Instagram that you, uh, you got a little trainer, a belt to hook up, but you were trying to, uh, get away from the snapping turtles and the snakes. How's that going? So I haven't gone outside um, yet. My my coach wants it to be a little bit warmer. I'm in Indiana and it's, it's uh, still pretty chilly here. But the plan was that um, we have a, a small pond um, next to our house. And I thought, well, if I tether myself to the dock, I could just swim, you know, in the pond and get some, at least some distance swimming in. But then my husband found a, a a couple of days ago, a snapping turtle in the yard. And um, now I'm rethinking that. Now I'm thinking about maybe getting a very, very small above ground pool and tethering myself to a tree 
and, and ah. trying to swim in, in, in that pool. I've heard that that works, but yeah. So again, you know, here's another lesson that I've learned from triathlon is just, you know, no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. So I'm trying to uh, find a way to keep swimming in isolation. Yeah, I remember, I don't remember why, but we had a pool in my backyard growing up and I was a swimmer and it was a pole. So this is, I don't know, 15 years ago, maybe somewhat. And uh, we stuck in a hole in the ground and we attached the pole was to a belt and we would swim in place with the pole. Oh, good. So it takes me back. So it's doable. You got it. You got it. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Or you can get those like thousands of dollars, like hot tubs that gives you the waves, you know, and just swim against it. And right, right. Yeah. So that's where we are now, but let's take it back to your story. So for our listeners, you lost about 200 pounds, right? Yes, I, I lost exactly 200 pounds. Which is just incredible. So I read something, you know, from your very first walk to your neighbor's mailbox to doing triathlons. How did how did that process happen? Yeah, so um, as you can imagine, at 335 pounds, exercising was uh, challenging. For a long time, I thought it was impossible. Um, to be obese and exercise, but I have since learned that that is not the case, that it is very possible to exercise when you're majorly overweight. You're not going to be doing, you know, sprints on a track, but you can certainly walk, you can, you know, do water aerobics, you can, you know, ride a bike. So, but I, I for the longest time, I just thought it was it would be impossible to exercise. So my first exercise was my husband, after nagging me for years to take a walk with him, I finally said yes, and this was also after I had said enough and had, had decided to go on a, a different um, eating plan. But we went out the back door, and I was holding onto his arm, and I, I think he was probably carrying half of my weight. And we just walked down the driveway, walked to the neighbor's mailbox, which was maybe 100 yards away, and I was exhausted. I mean, I think my heart rate was definitely in red zone. And wow. Yeah, it, it was, you know, it was carrying or carrying a, that, that much extra weight is hard. I, I like to tell people who have never been overweight, that, you know, being 200 pounds overweight, if you can imagine the large bags of ice at the grocery store, those weigh 20 pounds. So I was mm -hmm. carrying 10 of those large bags of ice on my body as I'm trying to walk. But we made it back home and I'm, I was exhausted. I collapsed on the couch, but I was, I was so happy because I had exercised and I didn't think that was possible. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I exercised. I mean, it was just, it was just fabulous. And then the next day we went to the second driveway and then the third driveway and eventually we could walk a mile. And every time I text my children, you know, I walked to the fourth driveway, I walked to the fifth driveway, and they would text back. Yeah. yeah, they were very, very encouraging. And then one day I had walked three miles, and my younger son wrote back and said, wonderful, mom, let's do a 5k. Aww. Yeah, and he volunteered to do it with me. And I always thought that you had to run in a 5k, but he told me no, I could walk. And I had all these excuses. I thought everybody would laugh at me and I didn't know what to wear. And, um, but he you know, answered all my questions and I went to the 5K. The 5K was appropriately named the Krispy Kreme Challenge. <laughs> yeah, that was like crazy. And the, the twist was that they gave you a dozen donuts at the halfway point. And so I not only Gross. had to 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, and then I'm thinking, oh, everybody's going to think that the obese person came just to get the donuts. Oh, no. Yeah, it was crazy. So did you have to eat the donuts? Well, no, you didn't have to. A lot of people were, but I, I yeah, so... But I finished that walking. I came in dead last, but I felt like I had won the Boston Marathon. Um, when I came across the finish line, the announcer said, and, and here comes Sue Reynolds, and this is her first 5K, and I'm Aww. waddling across the finish line, but people stopped what they were doing and clapped, and I just, I fell in love with endurance sports at that point. Gosh, Sue, I'm like crying a little bit. I can't imagine what your book is going to do to me. Uh, um, that's, uh, yeah, that's just beautiful. So you started this journey. And what happened from there? Did you face setbacks? Was it just, you know, this straight trajectory up to the top? What, what happened? Yeah, the, in terms of my nutrition, I, I did have a major setback. And I included that in the book because I think it's important to realize that you can, keep start going, you can keep going forward even when you've had a setback. So the first nutrition plan that I followed uh, involved counting points. And I lost weight. I lost 50 pounds on, on that plan. But what I was doing is I was eating all of my points for breakfast and then just not eating the rest of the day. So that allowed me to lose weight, but it wasn't sustainable, especially when I started exercising. I needed calories through the day. And I eventually just started eating more and more, and I gained almost all 50 pounds back. And then I switched to a, a different nutrition plan that involved eating five times a day and just whole foods. But yeah, but I thought, you know, there was a point where I thought, oh my gosh, this is just one more failed you know, failed diet, and I'm going to gain it all back and 20 more. And yeah, I really thought I, it's just hopeless. But but then I thought, no, because my motto really had become no excuses, um, whatever it takes, find a way. And I thought, okay, if that plan didn't work, then start on another plan. And so I just switched courses and, and went forward. Yeah. And then in terms of the, the physical part, um, I went from walking 5Ks to, I, I decided I wanted to try to run. And I mean, like I'm 60 years old. I have not run for 40 years <laughs> and I had no clue if I could even run. So all by myself with no one around, I tried running and I literally only ran 10 feet. And I'm not sure it was even running, but my elbows were bent and my hands were <laughs> so I called it running. And, you know, then I went from 10 feet. The next time I tried, you know, 15 feet. And I found a program called Couch to 5K. My friends have done that. Yeah, it's really a great program. It alternates between walking and running, and it goes over several months, and it increases your running time very very slowly each day it's it's an app on your iphone and i really i think it's wonderful so i did that to and got to the point where i could run for 30 minutes and then i you know tried running in a 5k yeah so that that was great and then i branched out into doing a spin class and a water aerobics class and then finally i you know, got the idea that oh my gosh i can swim and a little bit and i can run and bike a little bit and I started having daydreams about a triathlon and I never really thought I would do one. It just, it just gave purpose to my exercise. Mm -hmm. So when I was out running or jogging, what I called running, I don't know, but you know, in my, the back of my mind, it was like, okay, I'm preparing for a triathlon. And I just thought I was, you know, this big athlete when, when in reality I was barely running. So, but it gave, it gave me direction. So it was a good goal. Yeah, no purpose is huge. And, 
I actually think it's more incredible the people who go to the gym with their goal being just to be healthier because I I can't exercise without a goal. And so, you know, I'm retired, I suppose, but I, I fell into triathlons, just sprints, but I do them for fun. And um, just because I have to have something motivating me for why I'm making my body do these things. And so, you know, now I, I train what can I do with an hour to an hour and a half of exercise a day? And how good can I get my quality? Cause that's the stage of life I'm in. I'm like, I don't want to devote all this time, but I still have to have a goal. Right. And so I think that's human nature. I think. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to sustain my exercise. I had also started exercise programs before and they, you know, I do it for three or four days and then it would be over with. But I think this time the exercise, one, it was connected with my weight loss. That was a good goal. But then when I connected it with triathlon, I mean, it was just like, it, it gave purpose to the exercise, like you're saying. And, and that really, really made a difference. And I was only like, my training in the beginning was 20 minutes a day. You know, it's yeah. just, yeah. Because again, and, and this is what I, I think a lot of people don't realize this about triathlon is there are different distances, like, like, like you're saying. So the Ironman triathlon, that's uh, 140 plus miles, and it takes like 17 hours to complete it. But then there's shorter distances too. It's just like track and field, you know, there's mm-hmm. a 100-year run or a half-mile run. So in the sprint triathlon that you did, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, that it's a, it's a 750-meter swim, or some race directors will shorten that, so it's a 400-meter swim. Much to my dismay, I, I have done the shorter ones. That's what I need the swim to be longer. <laughs> yes, for you would, absolutely. That, <laughs> that would be to your advantage. And people, you know, people will dog paddle the swim, mm-hmm. elementary walk stroke. Um, there's uh, boats that line the swim and you're allowed to stop and hold on to a boat and rest um, as long as you're not making forward motion. Well, I think people misunderstand that. You don't have to be a super swimmer. You don't have to have an expensive bike. There's people that will rent bike. I've seen people do it on their mountain bike. Yes. We, we saw one person, you know how they have those bikes that you can rent from the city? They had rented. Oh, no. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and then you can walk on the run. So you know, I was terrified before my first triathlon, but my son told me, he said, mom, you're just out for a leisurely swim, a nice little bike ride, then a nice little walk, a little jog. You know, he said, it's no big deal. You can rest in between them. And, and I did. My, in my very first triathlon, I had not a clue what I was doing. But my first transition between swim and bike I sat down, I ate a sandwich, I brushed mm-hmm. my hair. I mean, that's I, awesome. Yeah, you know, I think I spent 20 minutes in transition before I was ready to go out on the bike. And I, I just went as slow as possible because I knew I was going to need every bit of energy to finish. So I, in that race, I think I was second to last. But um, when I came over the finish line, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, I had been an obese person and then all of a sudden I'm a triathlete. Yeah. It was just, I came across the finish line probably 20 minutes. Well, when I came across the finish line, I was so far behind everyone that the, that the awards ceremony was already over and they had already taken down everything from transition except the one bike rack. But I came across the finish line with one finger held up in the air because in my mind, I was number one. So yeah, it was just, it was amazing. You talk about finishing first in a field of one. What does that mean? So in triathlon, you compete in age groups. And because I was an older athlete, there were very few people in my age group. 
And a lot of times in races in the beginning, I would be dead last overall. And in all the age groups, I would be the very last one to come across the finish line. But because there was only one person in my age group, I was also first in my age group. Nice. Yeah. I never knew when I posted on social media, if I should say I was dead last or I was first in my age group, but I decided to just say I was first. (laughs) I love it. So I assume you do Olympic distances. Is that right? No, I do. Well, I've done them all. Um, The the longest I've ever done is a 70.3 Ironman. So that's a 70 miles. It took me six hours and 23 minutes to nice, but I love sprint racing. Okay. So that that's my specialty. I, I compete at worlds in the sprint distance. And I think my body is just more competitive at the sprint distance, but also mentally I tend to, so in the sprint racing, you're pushing red line the entire race. If you go over red line for too long, your body just fails and it just slows down. So explain that red line to me because so I'm an orange theory coach. And so we use heart rate zones. Is that what you're talking about? The like 84% or higher is our orange zone and then 92% or higher is red of your maximum heart rate. Is that what you're saying? If so, you're right below, I guess what you're calling red zone. So, and I've, I've had to learn to push my watts, push my heart rate, so I'm right below that point and, and to race the entire race, you know, at that point. And, and it takes me an hour and 25 minutes-ish to, to complete that race. And then we've, we've done studies of me so that we know that my body will allow me to push over red line for six minutes mm. before I will just automatically my body will just slow down on its own interesting yeah so we time it so that i know exactly you know six minutes before the finish line Ah. i just let go of all you know reason and i just run my heart out and a couple times i have (laughs) a couple times i misjudged that and i (laughs) the finish line but but i i love the mental challenge that comes with pushing that heart and, and also just the, the science of it, you know, how hard can I push and when can I push before I'm, you know, pushing too soon. And Yeah, I'm a pretty, still what I would call a newbie triathlete and you're like giving me some strategies. I'm like, man, I should plan this out better. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 you know, and that, that didn't come. So I think there's, you know, for your listeners that are not triathletes and maybe thinking about doing it, I think at least in my career, there's been like three separate phases the the first phase was just just get across the finish line and i didn't care how fast i went or how slow i went and then phase two was trying to set personal bests and you know then i would be training a little bit harder to set a pr and then phase three was really getting competitive about it and competing with with other folks and getting serious about my training so in that phase i started that phase actually when I was still a beginner, I just fell in love with the competition part of triathlon. And I came home from one race and asked my coach, I, I said, I, I know I'm just a beginner, but why couldn't I train like I'm a pro triathlete? You know, I'm willing to make that commitment if you'd be willing to train me like you would train a pro. And so I was all in, he was all in, and our goal was to qualify for Team USA, but we did whatever it took. I used to say that I worked triathlon around life, and at that point I was working life around triathlon. You know, I was just all in in terms of training, but also nutrition and recovery. I mean, we were just monitoring everything. And I thought it would take three years to qualify for the 
United States age group triathlon team, but with that kind of commitment, we qualified in one year. So I basically wow. went to my first world championship still as a beginner. I was only in my third season of, of triathlon. So that was, that was kind of crazy. Okay. Totally random question, but I'm curious because, so I've only done triathlons for, I guess, two years now, and I only do a couple a year, but I got top in my age group enough or whatever where they said they would ship your bike for free to the race in Boston. I obviously did not go. But so how how do you, when you go to Worlds, do you just box up your bike and ship it? How does that work? So I'm afraid to ship anything because I don't want any of my gear out of my control. So we take seven pieces of luggage, including a bike box, and I just disassemble my bike and put it in the box and then when we get to the to the venue, I, you know, we re- rebuild it. So okay. And then you know, in a lot of countries that I go to, I don't really speak the language, can't speak the language, so I bring backups of everything as well. Like a backup bike? <laughs> Not a bike, but we have a backup plan if I need one. Okay. So, but everything else, there's a duplicate of, except for the bike. Um, although I've often wondered, maybe I should bring two bikes as well. Some people do. Okay. And then I also don't want my food to be an issue. Um, so I pack all my food for the week before the race and take it with me. I've tried to think about everything that could possibly go wrong and, and control for it so it doesn't. Have you ever had to change your tire, got a flat tire in a race? Not, not in a race. Thankfully, no. But and again, that's, that's one of those things that I think, you know, what could go wrong? So we really inspect my tires um, before, before I race to make sure that there's no... Oh, room. man. I've, I've been taught how to change it, and I have the little pack on my seat and stuff. But, oh, man, if it happened, I don't think there's any way I would remember. So maybe I should should practice it a little bit more. But that's my fear. I'm like, man, if that happens, that, that race is pretty much toast. But see if a good Samaritan will stop and help me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's actually one of the things that we practiced that, you know, we had a, I forget what it was. It's been a while since since last season, but um, there was a certain amount of time that I had to be able to, to change a tire in if I got a flat. So. Nice. Yeah. I, won't, I was just thinking when I went on the world race, I lived in South America for a year and my aunts got me my tent and they made me time how fast I could put up my tent because um, we, we lived in it a lot of the time. And uh it actually came in handy because we had this huge rain ice storm in the middle of Patagonia and it was miserable and we had to put up our tents and baby, I could do that in like 60 seconds. Practice makes perfect, right? Got to get that muscle memory. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm competing now, like there's maybe 30 seconds between, maybe a minute between first place and, and fourth place. So, you know, getting on the podium, you you just need every second. So we yeah. practice, you know. My my theory was if there's ten places where I could if I could find ten places where I save six seconds, that would be a whole minute that I would be faster. Yeah, nice. We look for every second. So I hear a little bit of some competition in here. Your book is called The Athlete Inside, meaning that you found this athlete hiding inside of this morbidly obese body, right? So what was that like discovering that you had this competitive side to you? Yeah, that was kind of bizarre. I've always thought of myself as a very um, soft-spoken and, and kind person. And I was in the middle of my first big race, big in terms of large, a lot of competitors. And it was the first time we did a mass swim start. So in the local races in Indiana, they start each participant one at a time, and then they adjust the time at the end. But this was a mass start. So they had, I think there were 125 of us in the water. 
uh, all of us with a hand on the on the dock and then they blew a horn and we all took off and so it was like there were arms and elbows everywhere and we all had to swim to a point that wasn't very far away that was a bridge that we had to swim under and there was riprap on both sides so you didn't want to get close to the edges of the bridge that we were going under and so all these 125 people were all converging on the same place so we were really getting crowded and i was swimming um, next to a woman and we were about the same pace and I decided I wanted to beat her to the bridge so I wouldn't get pushed into the riprap. And as I was swimming, my arm came down in the middle of her back. And I thought, you know, now what do I do? So it, on the street, I would have stepped back and said, oh, I'm so sorry, you go right ahead if I bumped into someone. But we're in a race and I wanted to get to the bridge. And so I just kept my arm motion going. And in that process, I kind of shoved her underwater and I swam over the top of her, but I beat her to the bridge. And then it occurred to me that I really loved that feeling. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, I thought, oh my gosh, what is this? And I felt bad. I mean, it really upset me. And mm -hmm. after the race, I came home and I told my coach, I said, this horrible thing happened at the swim. I shoved a woman underwater. I didn't mean to, but I was just trying to get to the bridge before she did. And I, I told him, I, I think there's a beast inside of me. I mean, I was really upset. And he laughed and he said, Sue, that's just part of competition. You know, you weren't trying to, you know, you didn't send that woman underwater on purpose. You were just trying to get to the bridge. And he said, that's the competitive spirit. And he said, that's what we want. That's a really good thing. So yeah, so I've learned to really embrace the competitor inside of me. And it served me very well in races because I just... There is this beast that just loves to compete. And, you know, if I'm on the bike, I just, I just want to nail that bike. Mm -hmm. And it changed my life. That race also was the first time I had, it was a very large race. And it was the first time I had, was competing against other women my age. And I came in middle of the pack. And I, that was before I had, you know, committed to my training. I was skipping workouts if life got in the way. And that made me think, man, if I can be middle of the pack without much effort, what would happen if I really, really competed? Yeah. So that was when I came home and said to my coach, would you mind treat, you know, training me like a pro, even though I'm still a beginner? And yeah, so he did. And a, a year later, I qualified for Team USA. So that was man, cool. amazing. Oh, man, I love that that happened in open water. I did not know that story. And uh, I think open water takes brings out the beast in everyone because, you know, I was a swimmer, but I had lane lines. And when you do those open water races, man, people are vicious. They will, like, grab your ankles and then they try to draft on you. I mean, it's kind of like road rage, but, yeah, you know, yeah. you know only your bodies. <laughs> like, but again, for, for, your, for your listeners who are thinking, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Sorry, we're not scaring you. Oh, no. But in my very first one, the, 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 if you don't want to be in that situation that Tara's talking about, um, in my very, first, my very first triathlon, I just went dead last. And I just let everybody go first. You know, I got in the water last and I wasn't swimming around anybody. So you don't have to be out in front where it's a kind of a, it's like swimming in a washing machine. <laughs> just... yeah, that's a great description. No, yeah. And everyone, I just want to say all the triathletes I have met have been so kind and wonderful. And it's 
actually the race I was referring to was a genuine open water only swimming race. So I won't even say that for triathlons, but people are very, very nice. And there's even a division for overweight people, correct? There is. There's an Athena group. It is science-wise for people that have larger body sizes because they're tall or whatever. It's just, it's a different type of competition for them. So many sports have divisions for people that have larger body sizes. So in triathlon does too. It's called the Athena group and it is, it's a, a wonderful group that people are in for many different reasons. You compete within the Athena division, and then there's a men's group called Clydesdales, but you compete within that division to be on the podium, so yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and that was one of the surprises for me too. When I went to my first triathlon, I thought everybody would be skinny and fit, and I was not the only overweight person. Uh, There are a lot of people that look just like me. Yeah, and it's never too late to start too, right? I mean, you started at 60. I'm just gonna be totally honest. You know, I came from an elite athlete background, And man, when I see, so they write your age on your calf and I see people passing me who have like 30, 40 years on me on the run. And it is so demoralizing. Just going to say. Yeah, (laughs) that's my, my best event is the bike. And, um, I sometimes will be the first woman overall on the bike. And so I'm beating lots of, you know, younger folks. And sometimes I'll also pass men who are, you know, in their forties and, Afterwards, they all pass me back on the run. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but when they pass me on the run, they all say, oh my gosh, you were amazing on the bike. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Yeah, so fun. Okay, so out of all this, we're just, we can be nerd talking all day long, but let's talk about the spiritual side of your journey just for a, a little bit. You know, what has God taught you through this? Has it affected your body image? How do you feel, you know, inspired to help others through your faith now? Yeah, so... Um, there have been three three parts to my journey. There's the weight loss part and the fitness part. And then there's a, also a spiritual side, which is really, in my opinion, the most important side of my transition. So when I came into triathlon, I've always attended church all my life. So I'm hearing scripture in church and attending church every week. But at the time that I came into triathlon, that was all I was doing. I, I no longer had an active relationship with God throughout the day. It it only happened at church. And I also started having some doubts. I had a friend who, when we would talk about religion, he would always give me some scientific reasons for why what I was reading in the scripture he believed to be untrue. So I think, you know, even though I was still attending church every Sunday, my faith was just kind of, my active faith was just kind of dead. And then after I had lost about I don't know, 90 pounds, I just had this weird sensation that there was someone else in control of my weight loss. It wasn't happening mm-hmm. because of my actions anymore. It was, it was just some, something else very weird was happening. I had a sensation like I was on a magic carpet and somebody else was driving. It was just weird. And then the other thing that was happening was that people were starting to be just so kind to me. I mean, people just went out of their way to be kind. Every time point in triathlon or in my weight loss where I needed encouragement, there was always someone there. My first half marathon was a very large half marathon and I was terrified. And, you know, this man just took me under his wing and as we were waiting at the start line and just really was so sweet. And all my triathlon journey, there have been those kind people. 
and there were so many of them. I mean, I was just showered with kindness, and it just started to kind of freak me out. I thought, why are all these people being so nice? And I started wondering, I went, you know, could God be God? And you know, are these people angels? I, I just, I don't know. It was just, I was just kind of freaked out. And then two things happened. One was that my son told me that God loves me just the way I am. And my son was at the time studying to be a pastor, and I kind of expected him to say something like things like that. But then out of the blue, my coach, who I didn't even know that he was Christian, out of the blue, he said, you're perfect just the way that God made you. And when he said that, it was just, it was, if it it had been a movie, the, the heavens would have opened and, you know, there would have been. God speaking through the clouds. I mean, it was just, I felt like I'd been hit on the head with a two by four and hit me, you know, this is, this is probably God and God's playing a role in my life. And, and then at church, our pastor did a sermon about how when God's trying to get our attention, he often does it by showering us with gifts. And I thought, oh, bingo, you know, that's what, that's what this is. That kind of made me realize that there was something spiritual going on and my coach had been so gentle and perfect just the way that God made you and I started after our training asking him questions about his faith and sharing some of my questions and hesitations with him I answered all my questions he was never pushy and never preachy he learned that my coach believes that his calling is through his coaching and he never knows when the right moment is there or if there will even be a right moment. But, you know, when he senses that God is calling him to speak to folks, he'll say something like he did to me. And so I've really learned, one, that God is in the face of others. And I've learned that I can be the face of God for others as well. I've learned from my coach about everyday discipleship, that we don't have to be a pastor or a deacon or whatever to speak to others about God. I've decided that I can be a disciple of God too and to, to chat with people that God brings into my life. I asked my coach for it once, how do you know the right thing to say? And he said, if God has brought someone into your life um, to disciple, they'll give you the right things to say. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I don't worry about saying the right thing anymore. I just figure that if this is, you know, where God has put me, that God will give me the, the right words. Yeah. And that, to me, that's this is really the most important part of this journey. There's been all the exciting times of losing weight and gaining my health back. And racing is certainly exciting. But it's the spiritual side that means the most to me. I, I feel so grateful and so blessed that God reached out to me this way. And so that's was my purpose for writing the book. I wrote the book for a number of reasons. One was to give people hope that they can transform their life at any age. I did at age 60. And, and maybe not even a weight loss or a fitness journey, but whatever the journey is that they want to begin. It's never too late to be the person that you want to be. And then the other reason for writing the book was to, to share the spiritual side of my journey, not in a preachy way, but just to, to share my story as testament. And so the, the latter part of the book explains my relationship with my coach. Yeah, and then one other part that happened that I talk about in the book. So my coach is... I have a wonderful relationship with him. He is younger than my own children. 
and it was kind of strange in the beginning to be taking orders from such a youngster, but I learned to do that. But his wife at age 29 developed breast cancer and she's fine now, she's a survivor. But I got to witness his faith as he struggled with his wife's cancer. He helped me understand the difference between earthly things and heavenly things. Mm -hmm. And his opinion was that life itself was an earthly thing. And he taught me that it's always about God's way and God's will. And we might not even understand or agree with what God is doing, but it always has to be about God's will. And his opinion was, if God willed for his wife to have cancer, then so be it. And if God's will was to take his wife, then my coach was really at peace with that. Hmm. And being able to witness the strength of his faith and his peace, that just really spoke to me. And again, he was an everyday disciple, just you know, showing me through the light of his faith, what faith can do. Yeah, what an incredible example of just to all of us of, you know, sometimes we can just have this perspective of, oh, I'm suffering, like, is God good? And, and we need to flip it on its head and say, man, like God has given me this gift of this trial that I'm going through so that others may see his goodness in my life. That, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. Like that Jesus says that, but what a testimony we can be through that. I mean, that's incredible, his example to you through that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel very, very blessed. So in this spiritual journey, also, you know, our body image, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's so directly tied, you know, our spiritual, our physical, mental and emotional. And so one verse I kind of wanted to ask your perspective on is Psalm 139, 14, where it says, you are beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, what did that verse mean to you in your journey versus when you were obese to now? What do you think of that? I've kind of always felt that I was wonderfully made, even when I was obese. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why it was so difficult for me to lose weight in the beginning, because my sense is that who I am is not about what I look like. It's about kindness and compassion and reaching out to people. So to me, it never really mattered what I look like. I do believe that I'm wonderfully made. That fits so well with the messages that I got from my coach about how you know I'm perfect the way that God made me. And the message from my son that God loves me just the way I am. It doesn't matter you know, what I look like or it doesn't matter even if I fail or if I sin, now that God's arms are always, always open. So what would you say to someone who is maybe in the middle of their journey? Maybe they're trying to lose weight or they've you know hit the setbacks like the ones that you talked about, and they're just really struggling with the idea that God did make them beautifully like the way that they are. You know, we see all these movements of like, look how big I was and like, these are the pants I used to fit in and now look at me. And, you know, where is that balance between you're beautiful the way you are and you're always fearfully and wonderfully made and wanting to be, you know, healthy for yourself as a temple of the Lord? So I think it's a question of the messages that you listen to. If you listen to society's messages, you hear things like you should be thin or you should be working 20 hours a day, or you should be accomplished, you should reach this goal. Those are society's messages. I think one of the things that I learned through, again, through my coach's example, was reading scripture and looking for those messages, which are more about kindness and, and 
living a life that looked like the life that Jesus lived. It's so easy to beat ourselves up when we look at the messages that society gives us. But when we look at the messages of forgiveness and compassion that are in scripture, and that's how we choose to live, you just don't beat yourself up as much because you realize that you are lovable the way that God made you. You are perfect the way that God made you. Yeah, amen. That's awesome. I know, I feel like we could talk for so much longer, but just because we do need to wrap up, is there anything that I haven't asked you that something from your book or from your life or something that you've learned in this journey that you would want to share with people? No, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, you mentioned that the book is coming out on April 28th. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and IndieBound. The name of the book is The Athlete Inside, The Transforming Power of Hope, Tenacity, and Faith. Yeah, and then if anyone wants to follow me on my newsletter, my website is uh, suereynolds.net. And on the, the, my website, I tried to put up lots of tips and videos to help people begin their journey, be it weight loss or fitness or, or spiritual. So I talk about all three on the, on the website. So Tara, it's just been a, a blessing to have this discussion with you. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise, I will make sure that I link all of those things that Sue just mentioned in the show notes. I'll also put some different distances of triathlons if you're looking. I think I cut her off earlier because I got so excited about the swim distance. Um, but if you're looking at that, we'll link all of that and her social media and where to get her book. Just click on this episode to the show notes and that will all be there for you. So Thank you so much, Sue. It has been such a blessing and we just wish you the best of luck with your book. And I just believe and know that it will help transform so many people's lives for God's glory. So thank you. Thank you very much. And good luck with your book. I think your book is going to be awesome. I cannot wait to read it. Oh, thank you so much. What an incredible gal, right? I am just so excited about Sue's book coming out, The Athlete Inside. It comes out today. So you can head over to the show notes. I have some links of places that you can buy her book. Follow her on social media. Tell her thank you for being on the show. And check out her website if you want some tips. I really think that the journey that Sue has been on can really help a lot of us as we transition back into what is this new normal after the virus, after being in our houses and maybe not having a good exercise routine or a good mental or self-care routine. And so I am super excited to get my copy of Sue's book in the mail and I hope you will get one as well. Have a great week and we will see you back here again on Monday for our next interview.